This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. If you, like me, adore nature and love staring at it, then I really can't recommend Leica Sport Optics enough. With a wide range of easy-to-use products all fitted with high-end optical technology, you'll definitely find something that works for you. I'm currently using the Ultravid HD binoculars and when I'm out on a walk, it feels like I've got HD TV for my eyes. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've all had a lovely wildlife and nature filled week since I last spoke to you. I've been well, thanks for asking, I assume. <laughs> I've um, What have I been doing in the last week? I have had a nature filled week, but it's been out and about recording episodes for this podcast. My God, you guys have got some wonderful shows coming up, if I do say so myself. I've been recording Getting Ryan Into Birding Part 2 with Indy Green, Lucy Lapwing and Jack Baddams. Birds. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking, I'm joking, I say it in jest. It was actually really good fun. We did this one half on location. So I went up to Hampstead Heath, my green space. Um, it's not mine, I don't own it. I wish I owned it, if I owned it. It would be amazing. And uh, Lucy, Jack and Indy on different occasions were telling me how to bird, telling me about bird calls, how to ident birds, what environments to pick to sit in. So I learned a lot. It was very good. But that's been my nature week. What have you lot been seeing? Please feel free to write in if you want to. DM me on Instagram or Twitter or email into the wildpod at gmail.com and tell me what you've been doing to fill yourself with nature goodness. Um, let's talk about today's show. Two months ago, if you had said sustainable fishing, people would have replied, yeah, and what? What about it? Now, if you say the word sustainable and fishing, people go, oh my God, have you seen Seaspiracy? And I hope you have. I hope you have watched it. I watched it myself. There were bits of Seaspiracy I did like. There were bits of Seaspiracy I didn't like. And that's why today I want to talk about Seaspiracy. Because everyone else is doing it, so why shouldn't Into the Wild have a chat about it? The main reason why I wanted to talk about it is because there were bits that I didn't like, as I said, and those bits were really, really I didn't like them. It wasn't just like, I'm not sure, I was like, I don't like that bit. But as you guys, uh, well, you might not know, but I'm not a marine biologist. (laughs) I'm not a marine ecologist. I am not a marine scientist. I don't work for any fisheries. So I, you know, only know what I have researched and what I've read. So I needed to find two people that could help me out and could answer some of my questions that I had and what other people have been asking about Seaspiracy. The first person that I invited onto the show was Jada Elcock. Now, if you don't know Jada, oh my God, look her up on Twitter and Instagram. Jada is a science communicator and co-founder of an organisation called Miss Elasmo. Miss Elasmo, uh, Miss standing for Minorities in Shark Sciences, is an organisation dedicated to encouraging women of colour to pursue a career in shark sciences, which is pretty damn cool. And the reason why I asked Jada on the show was because of those reasons. Jada is so good at communicating natural sciences to the everyday person like me, you guys, and everyone you pretty much know. Jada does it with such comedy, with such passion, such quirkiness, and just with her wonderful personality. And this is why, because I felt there were some bits 
of Seaspiracy that got the communication wrong. So I wanted to ask Jada what she thought of that and what things she would change and where Jada thought there were missed opportunities with communication. My second guest that I had on this show was Maureen Cusser. Now Maureen is a PhD candidate investigating how genetics can be used to prevent illegal fishing practices. Damn, good topic. And Maureen has also done a lot of work with fisheries within Europe as well. Now this is why I asked Maureen onto the show was because I needed someone that knew their stuff when it came to what is happening in our oceans, where the good things are, where the bad things are, and also was everything that was said in Seaspiracy accurate or did they get it a bit wrong? So that is today's show. It's going to be called Let's Talk About Seaspiracy. There is one thing I do want to say. This show is not here to change your mind about Seaspiracy. We are not here to slam it and say it's all terrible, it's all wrong, and this is the show that's getting it right. That's not what Into the Wild is about. You guys know that. This episode is purely to add some more insight into the nuanced and complicated topic that is ocean management and sustainable fishing. The other thing I'd like to say, of course, is that this is just one show. This episode of Into the Wild today is not here to change your opinion on Seaspiracy or change your opinion of what you think about eating fish, the ocean and its management. This episode is just here to add to the research that I hope everyone is doing already. Just like you should have watched Seaspiracy and think you know everything, I hope that anyone listening to the show is not listening to it and then taking away that they think they know everything as well. Make sure to do plenty of research. There's scientists out there saying stuff on Twitter. Make sure you listen to them. They're writing articles and papers. Make sure you read them. Do as much research you can on this topic because, oh my God, it's incredibly nuanced, incredibly complex, and it changes wherever you go in the world. But anyway, enough of my mouth. Let's move on to today's episode. Enjoy the show and I'll talk to you lot at the end. Maureen and Jada, thank you so much for joining me on today's uh, show of Into the Wild. This is um, this has been quite a quick turnaround. I don't usually plan episodes this quickly, but because uh, this topic come up quite heavily on social media and on every media platform in the last 10 days, um, it, I wanted to get it done quickly. So thank you both so much for joining me on today's show. To the listeners, thank you so much for tuning into Into the Wild. Today we're going to be talking about... Um, the conspiracy into seaspiracy. That's maybe that's what I'll call the show title. Um, but there was a Netflix documentary that came out uh, two weeks ago called Seaspiracy, and it's got a lot of attention online, mainly due to the topic and the messages in the film. And today we're going to be talking about that from many different angles. But I'm not going to talk too much because I've got two wonderful guests here that are going to do a lot of the talking for me. So we'll start by introducing them and finding out who they are and what is it they do. So we'll start with Maureen. Welcome to Into the Wild. Would you like to tell everyone who you are and what is it you do? Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan, for inviting us. And I'm really happy to be here. I'm currently a PhD candidate at Salford University in Manchester. And I, um, I look at methods to try and tackle fraud in the seafood industry, more, mm. more specifically genetic methods. And on the side, I also do work as a consultant for various NGOs to try and tackle some issues pertaining to illegal fishing in anywhere worldwide, really. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously the movie was something I was kind of excited to watch because I knew it was going to touch on these topics. And uh, yeah, 
That was <laughs> such a great end to that sentence. <laughs> that was such a great end. Um, you were like, I was excited, and then we'll talk more in a minute. Perhaps not as excited after I watched it, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's, that sounds like a busy job you have, though, especially from a global point of view. Is that pretty much anywhere around the world you... Uh, yeah, I mean, lately I've focused more, more specifically on some of the fisheries that happens on the west coast of Africa, and mm. more specifically the EU vessels that go there and fish yeah. there, and whether or not, you know, this activity is legal or not. As I said, that's kind of something I do on the side. For the, the PhD, I'm mostly focusing on European seafood and any kind of fraud you would find on the European market. So it's more wow. uh, local, I guess, if you can say that. Mm. Europe is a big place, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very big place. <laughs> if England can still say it's local yeah, for us, I don't it know. It does involve the UK, <laughs> believe it or not. I still call it Europe, uh, but I don't damn know it. why. Um, <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. I'm really excited to get your intake on some of the questions we've got. Uh, my next guest, Jada. Thank you so much for joining me, Jada. Would you like to tell everyone who you are and what is it you do? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am a science communicator and a first year PhD student. I study shark movement ecology and habitat use. And I'm trying mm. to kind of figure out how different species of sharks are interacting with their environments, how their environment is affecting them and vice versa. And I love science communication because I think that sometimes there's kind of a bit of a gap between the science community and the general public. And I think that that mm -hmm. gap needs to be closed because I think that everyone's input is important when it comes to science and science policy and all that stuff. And I just think that helping people get more informed about animals that they might not know about or that they might not care about yet is really important. And also, I'm a big nerd and I like to nerd out about animals on the internet with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I like that that's part of your job title. And finally, I'm also a massive nerd and I like to talk about animals. Yes, yes, I'm a giant you're really, nerd. You're really good at talking about sharks as well, I've got to say. Thank you, thank you. They're, they're some of my favourites and they're just so cool and they have so many cool adaptations and I'm like, oh my God, everyone needs to be so excited about sharks. <laughs> so I just cool. love to like talk about them and nerd out about them and see if other people get as excited as I am. It's so nice. It's so nice to see someone talk um like you said but in, especially with science communication making it like the way you do is like that's what captivates the mass market that kind of communication yeah. and you're right it is so so important thanks right well both thank you both so much for being on the show let's do this see spiracy <laughs> let's start by asking and i'll ask you first marine how did you feel once you'd watched, this sounds like therapy now. Yeah, but how did you feel once you had once you'd watched the show? What was your kind of takeaway feelings? So it's been a little bit tricky because uh, I, uh, when I was watching the show, I was also making this YouTube reaction video, so I was kind of stopping it all the time, and it was a, a little bit weird because I also was talking a lot and I was complaining a lot, and and so I just kept like stopping it and resuming it, and then by the end I was kind of confused as to what just happened. Basically, <laughs> I think I had a lot of mixed emotions because these are issues that I feel like I'm just kind of, I mean, some of the issues that are mentioned in new movie, you know, I feel like I spend my life fighting against them. And at the same time, I was super unhappy with the 
I don't even want to call it a documentary, to be honest, with with the movie. There was so many conflicting emotions. Like, I couldn't really place why. I was just thinking, like, there's a list of reasons right now why I'm not just Mm. not happy about this. And I don't even know where to start. So (laughs) it was just, uh, it it was super weird. Because... It gave me this feeling that I was kind of almost being the advocate of the devil for not liking it. That's interesting. It's super strange. Uh, Because I feel like my Mm. whole life I've been telling people, you should eat less fish. Don't eat fish. And then all of a sudden this guy's telling me, don't eat fish. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This whole movie's crap. (laughs) It's just, it's really weird. Yeah. So that's what I mean by conflicting emotions. (laughs) Yeah, I I, f- I think I feel you on a lot of that. I feel yeah. exactly the same. Very strange. Jada, what about yourself? Once you had watched it, how did you feel after it? Yeah, so I watched it with two of my friends, and most of the time watching it was just us yelling at the TV. That's not how that works, or that's not accurate, or that paper was retracted, or whatever else, and. So by the end of it, I was irritated and I was stressed mm. and I was like, this <laughs> is going to... Ne- That's the right yeah. word. I was like, this is not going to do what you want it to do. This is going to do a lot yeah. more damage than good, I feel like. And so mm. my friends and I, we were about to go to bed. So we watched that before bed and then we were like, I can't sleep now. So we needed like a little <laughs> bit of a palate cleanser. <laughs> so we watched like some random Netflix movie and like drank some wine. And then we were like, okay, I'm chill. I can go to bed now. Like it... You treated it like a horror film. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I was so frustrated and like, it was so disappointing. And I knew that like going into it, I had heard one or two good reviews. And then Mm. I heard so many negative reviews. So I was going into it, trying so hard to be like, okay, I'm going to find positives in this. And it was very difficult to do that. Obviously, like not trying to be like disrespectful or anything like to the filmmaker, but it was just so frustrating. And I was like, they did not get most of what they said right. And it's so frustrating that this is now a thing that I know a lot of people are going to take at face value and run with. And it's inaccurate. And that's damaging. Misinformation is damaging. So it was very, very frustrating. I think with something like this, because this, this is, I, I share that with you, what you just said as well, Jada, is that like, you don't want to be disrespectful to the people that put the time into the to the film, because obviously there is an element of care there you, that you want to hold on to and you want to go that you know, the, your reason for doing what you're doing is very good. Exactly. But your your pr- product is not the, the way it should right. be. But, yeah, but at the like same I, time, I think, you know, when I make shows like this, I expect some feedback at some point. You know, I'm not going to get everything right. I'm not an expert in this. So I think there has to be some onus on creators where you go, you know what, you're going to fuck up at some point. Yeah. And if you do, because it's so complex, you can't get everything right. You can't. It's just your one voice talking about something global. That's huge. You can't get everything right and you can't know everything as well. So yeah, it's kind of hard because you don't want to be negative to someone, but you can't kind of help but be. It's clear that they had good intentions and they care about the Mm. ocean and they want other people to care about the ocean as well. And they're trying to show you something to help you care Mm. but the execution of the communication in my opinion was just not helpful and it created a very unproductive conversation about conservation and that's one of the biggest issues that I have with it I'm like you had the opportunity to make this a really productive conversation and I know that you're not an expert on this and that's fine you can still speak on these issues even if you're not an expert but I think that it's important that you include more experts into the conversation 
And I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I I just wanted to add on that because uh, actually, yeah, that's... uh... It basically, I've I've heard a lot of people now say things such as, well, as you were saying, Ryan, it's normal to make errors and, you know, it's fine. They made an error here and there. And I don't know why biologists are getting so caught up about this. And why do you have to point out all the errors? And why don't you talk about the positive things, right? And I've seen that everywhere. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, I've just learned about all these issues. I think it's great that the movie's out there. And I'm just thinking to myself, the, the problem is that these errors are almost, <laughs> I, I mean... I'm sure a lot of them are not intentional, but there's definitely mm. a layer of false conspiracy that is mm. most definitely intentional. I don't know how he would have come up to all these conclusions. A lot of them are just basically made up, right? And these are put there so that he can kind of frame his final message. And I don't see how this is helpful. So as you know, as 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 you were saying, Jada, that's it's just a lost opportunity because you're you're basically just framing this documentary in layers of errors and lies. How how is this starting any kind of conversation? How is this being productive whatsoever? So yeah. Right. I think that if you have to use emotional manipulation and misinformation, whether it be on purpose or on accident, to make your Mm. point, you should be doing more research before making the point. And you should be actively trying to fact check yourself and make sure that what you're saying is accurate. And I've had a lot of people be like, oh, well, if you feel guilty, like you said, emotional manipulation, if you feel guilty, it's because you have something to feel guilty about. I'm like... I had a ton of people that were like, you just don't want to stop eating fish. I'm like, I already don't eat fish, <laughs> yes. but okay, that's whatever. That's the like, worst part. I, don't, I know. I'm like, I don't eat fish and I don't feel guilty. I'm doing a lot and I'm using, I'm literally dedicating like my life to understanding more about the ocean and the animals in it. Like that's what I want to do with my career. I don't feel like I have something to feel guilty about. I am doing my best and I understand that a lot of people just want a little bit of guidance of how they can mm-hmm. potentially help, but I don't think that this film was necessarily the thing to take at face value. I think that there's, if you're going to watch this film, you need to be doing a lot more of additional research on your own time to to try and like fact check some of the points. And I don't know. I just think if you're if you're going to have to use misinformation and manipulation to prove a point maybe you shouldn't be making the point. Yeah, I think that's a very fair... <laughs> when you say it, it's like, I think that's fair. <laughs> <I> think that's... <laughs> it makes sense when we word it like that. So when we talk about the film, because... So you said a minute ago, Maureen, about people asking, but what did the film get right? Let's not focus on the negatives, let's focus on the positives. So let's quickly do that, the three of us now. What did, for you, Jada, what did the film get right? I think that it's great that they brought up a lot of issues that people might not know about or people might not Mm. be talking about. I think that it's important to start these conversations and get this information out to the public. And I have no issue with the fact that these issues are being brought up because a lot of these issues, like I said, like need to be talked about. This conversation needs to be started. Yeah. My biggest issue is the way they tried to make these points and the way they executed the communication of these topics. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Maureen, for you, what uh, what did the film get right? I have a bit of a hard time with that question because I feel, and this is going to sound really harsh, but I have thought a lot about this movie over the last two weeks, and <laughs> I, I feel like at this point it just didn't really get anything per se. 
it used issues that we have been talking about for decades that are real as mm. as a springboard to defend its own narrative. And to me, that's not getting anything right. That's doing everything <laughs> wrong, right? So mm. the fact that he is mentioning these issues that are real doesn't mean he gets them right whatsoever. Um, that's fair. So in that, that, yeah, that's, that's a really good point, yeah. Uh, that's actually, I wish I had that line right? of defense in other conversations I've had about that. As I said, I've been thinking about it way too much. Yeah. Um, but but um, it is worth, of course, I mean, it, it needs to be said that a lot of the issues that he talks about are indeed uh, real. And as you were saying, Jada, we do need to keep talking about them. And maybe, maybe this has created a momentum that can allow us to continue talking about this. I hope so. But to be fairly honest, I am not completely optimistic about this. I have the feeling that the movie made a lot of noise. And if I start making these YouTube videos about illegal fishing or slave labor, they're going to get no views because the word seaspiracy is not going to be in them. So I yeah, don't know yeah. to which extent this has actually created anything. I hope it has. I mean, the three of us create stuff. You know, yeah. Jada, you do science communication online. Maureen, you've got your YouTube channel and this is a podcast. We know how when a big production like Netflix, you know, puts up a film like that, it's like it can people can argue all day long, but it created that awareness. It's like, yeah, for a blip in time that <laughs> the wave ended so quick and there was nothing no real conversation it kind of was just like a weak heartbeat with a big <laughs> bit in the middle like beeping up I, there was one bit of the film i did like and it didn't go on long enough for me and it was when the creator spoke to the whale hunter and i really was fascinated by that conversation because i thought finally towards the very end of the film we have got the filmmaker who it was very clear what you know where he was coming from talking to someone probably on the polar opposite end of the scale and you're having a chat. And I was like, this is it. I was like, what, we're 55 minutes in or <laughs> like over and we're finally getting to a conversation that needed to be had. And it was over in about four minutes. And then I was like, oh. Yes. But I agree. I, seeing that conversation, hearing from the, I guess we'd call him a whaler's voice, I was like, everything he said, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I don't like what you're doing. I find it weird. But what you're saying makes absolute sense. And I wanted to see more from that. When we go back through the documentary, sorry, well, like documentary film, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> I, I wanted to see more of those style of conversations. I wanted to see the polar opposites happening. That was the one bit of the film that I thought, here we go. But it was very short-lived. <laughs> it was very yeah, short-lived. Yeah, I, I thought that there definitely needed to be more of that. That's something that kind of frustrated me is mm. it was just one person that maybe didn't completely understand the cultural reasoning behind certain practices talking about the practices. And I yeah. think that that's a really big issue because you're not bringing in people from those cultures into the conversation. You're making them a part mm -hmm. of the conversation. And those are two very, yeah. very different things. So if someone doesn't like the practices of whaling and you think that something better could be done and you think that that practice needs to stop, you can't just say, hey, stop doing that and then expect something to happen. Because that's not how it works. Yeah. You need dialogue. You need to have a willingness to understand why a culture does what it does in order to try and find alternative practices that work for everybody. Because a lot for a lot of people, this is just making a living or like getting food for their family. It's literally mm -hmm. just like putting food on the table. And that's not something that a lot of people consider. People look at it as evil. And if that's your view, whatever. But you need to understand why some people are doing it. And I think... 
the fact that there was no representation of the Japanese like whaling community mm. in the film. It was just, I'm going to talk about you and not to you. It kind of had, if I'm being honest, like xenophobic undertones of like, you guys are doing something wrong. But then they go to the Faroe Islands and they're like, let's talk to you about this issue. And they framed it differently. And I was like, I don't like the way that made me feel like that's, I found that that was a big issue for me. And I just think it's so important to not talk about people, but talk with people about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because you might realize that they're doing it for a reason that maybe you didn't expect and that you might understand. And I just think that that was another really big missed opportunity was to get more voices in the film. There was not a lot of black indigenous people of color in the film. It was just kind of, I'm going to tell you what's going on with this other community. I'm like, that's not how that works though. You need to talk with them. It's all about the dialogue. So that was something that I found really frustrating. I saw that from the trailer. I think that's what kind of When I saw the two and a half minute trailer and I told myself, I went, don't judge the film on the trailer because they might have picked all the worst bits for the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they got the, maybe they, maybe they made the trailer really badly and maybe the film will be all right. And what I took, I remember turning to my girlfriend and just going, I don't think this is going to be very good. I, I really want it to be, but I don't think it is because for me, I just watched a two and a half minute trailer of about seven white people pointing at Asia going, this is where the problem is. And I was like, we're talking about global fishing and we're blaming Asia. I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with that. So I thought, if that's what I've got from the trailer, what the hell is the film going to (laughs) be? So I I do agree. It was was so much where I was just like, this is making me feel a bit odd and I didn't like it. Yeah. Jada, the the film's overall and closing statement, not just from the filmmaker, actually, but from from some of the talking heads, was just don't eat fish or the best way to conserve the ocean is don't eat fish or leave them alone or leave it be. What's wrong with that statement and why did that cause so much frustration? This is, I don't, it's such an oversimplification of all of the issues that are plaguing the ocean. There's obviously so many things happening that we're doing to the ocean that need to be fixed, but saying just don't eat fish, that's not necessarily helpful. I get that that's definitely something that like, If you are able to and willing to, that's something that you can help in your own personal way. And that's wonderful. If you have that option and you want to make that choice, fantastic. I urge you to do that. But just saying don't eat fish is just kind of telling people what they should and shouldn't do. And I think that we need to just give people the option and recognize that, for one, the statement that there are no sustainable fisheries is Mm -hmm. not correct. That is false. There are are lots of sustainable fisheries. And so knowing where your food comes from is an important piece of that. So if you want to continue eating fish, I urge you to, you know, try and make an effort to figure out where your fish is coming from. Use like the Seafood Watch app with Monterey Bay Aquarium to figure out like where you might find sustainable fish to eat. But the other part of it is that not everyone has that choice to just not eat fish. Mm. And I got a lot of comments saying they talked about that very, 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 very slightly. I think that they needed to emphasize that so, so, so much more because there are so many communities, not just like indigenous island communities. There are also communities like on the coasts of the US, for example, that rely on fishing for food and for a living. And that's something really important that needs to be talked about. And I don't think that that was talked about because again, they were like, see, look, 
those people are begging for food because commercial fisheries are taking all the fish. And I was like, that's still not including them in the conversation. You're just talking about them. (laughs) That's not enough. Like we need (laughs) to, that's why I think there there definitely needs more representation of those kinds of communities Mm. and more recognition of the privilege that you have to make the choice to just not eat fish. And I like to say like, no, I don't think anyone should be upset with you for having privilege but you have to recognize it as well so that you understand how to help other people and you understand how to interact with other people. Otherwise, it's going to cause some problems, as this film did. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Maureen, is there anything about that statement as well that yeah. you wanted to kind of add on that? I mean, I think that, Jada, you, you uh, kind of summed it up really well. I think maybe I would add to that that for me the – the statement don't eat fish coupled with I'm going to spend an hour and a half of this movie telling you how bad these guys are by pointing the finger at NGOs. That was just like, what? What just happened? Mm. You just spent an hour and a half spitting on people who tried to change the systemic problems that exist within the fishing industry. And then you're telling me at the end, so forget about these guys. You have the solution. Don't eat fish. It's yeah. it's all on you. And it's like, <laughs> I, what? <laughs> it's your fault, guys. <laughs> I, I truly don't understand consumer blaming because I'm like, it's mm. a, that's kind of like what this feels like is like, just don't eat fish. Problem solved. I'm like, first of all, way <laughs> like gross oversimplification. And second of all, like if fish is available, people are going to eat it. If you have a problem with the commercial fishing industry, then you need to focus on regulations of the commercial fishing industry, not saying, hey, just don't eat fish. Because if one person doesn't eat fish, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to stop eating fish and there's still going to be a demand for fish. So Mm -hmm. consumer blaming is not the answer for anything. And I think that that needs to be explicitly said as well, because I feel like that whole topic was kind of ignored in this film. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the best way to kind of see that as well is imagine imagine telling your mum it's her fault. Like imagine imagine like just going like mum the the problem in the oceans is your fault. You're you're damaging it, and that's when you start to see that consumer blaming is not a good thing because your mum's just going to stand there and go what what my fault? It's like yeah you're buying fish. Stop it. It's your fault. And that's where I start like when people don't understand the consumer blaming thing. It's like just just bring it closer. Imagine telling someone directly it's their fault. And and you start to see the kind of pain in it. The other statement that it and Jada, you you mentioned it in your answer is that sustainable fishing is either A not being accomplished or B simply not possible. But Maureen, is that true? Sustainable fisheries are perfectly achievable. Right. This is it's something mm. that that you can do. It's achievable as to whether or not it's prevalent is another question. There is definitely a lot of places that have managed to sustainably harvest their stock or fish or whatever it is that they have there. And it can be um, on a fairly large scale. It can be on a fairly local scale. Uh, But it's also true that it is not something that you find necessarily everywhere within the fishing industry. So you do Mm. have some fisheries that are well-managed and sustainable and others that are not as well-managed and not as sustainable. And I think 
maybe, I don't know if the listeners would be interested in that, but it, it might help a little bit understanding what sustainability is in fisheries, if you understand yeah. a bit of the way it usually is managed. So I'm most familiar with examples of management in Western countries, particularly in Europe, because that's where I work. And there are different models of management, but the one I want to talk about is the model that you'll find mostly in, in Western Europe and I think as well in North America. And the way that is usually done is that the governments kind of have these uh, governments and scientists work together to conduct these surveys at sea where they're going to go at sea on research vessels or survey vessels and then they're going to have these transects that go back and forth and they will try and estimate how much fish you have of a particular species in a particular stock and then the scientists will come back with this number and they'll say okay for that species this is how much fish we have in this stock this year right then they will do that from year to year and then based on that information the government will evaluate how much fish can be taken out and they will have these quotas that again they usually will reassess year from year and those are the quotas that the fishermen will then have to respect as to whether or not they always respect that that's a different question but the quotas themselves are also not always following the scientific advice so this is where it gets mm -hmm. a little bit you know complicated because the governments also do have kind of a big say and for that particular species or that particular stock you might have a little bit of pressure from the industry for this one you have maybe a bit more pressure from the NGOs and so the governments are kind of stuck in between you have that pressure from the scientists and so you try and compromise right so this is uh, how the quotas are defined it's a gross oversimplification but at least it's a little bit more complete than what you have in the movie i assume yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and so that of course if it's well done can lead to sustainable fisheries. This is what has been done, for example, in, uh, I mean, a lot of Scandinavian countries, for example, manage their fisheries quite well. So uh, cod is a very good example because cod has been extremely poorly managed elsewhere. So like the Grand Bank cods has completely collapsed uh, in the... Pfft, 70s or the 80s, the 80s, I can't remember exactly when it was, and then uh, they put a moratorium on their fisheries, thinking that the stocks would recover, and they basically haven't recovered. And when Iceland and Norway saw that, they were like, okay, we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen to our stocks. And so since then, they've been quite good at managing their cod stock, right? So that they follow this kind of a survey quota system I was just talking about. And that is, until this point, it's a fairly sustainable fishery. They manage it well. It works well, right? Uh, so and those are some example some examples I'm familiar with, but there are examples of well-managed sustainable fisheries worldwide. So it is definitely something that we can aspire to. It's not mm. something that is easy to do <laughs> because fish are living animals. You know, they, they're living beings. They all have different life histories. So you need to take that into account. It's not something that every country has the means to do either. Mm -hmm. Because having these surveys, uh, doing them on a yearly basis is expensive, it takes time, uh, but it's something that is achievable and possible. And countries have done it. And uh, as I was saying, there's also other countries that have other kind of uh, ways of managing their fisheries that also work well. So 
That's a very long answer. I hope it's not too. Uh, well, long. well, it was needed. It was. <laughs> it was well, needed. yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you can't just say, "Ah, oh, fisheries, sustainable fisheries don't exist." Period. Like, it's just. Yeah. No, that's. Just... And the same way, you couldn't just turn around and go, "No, that's not true. They certainly do." Goodbye. Yeah, like you just well, can't. Yeah. Do... Yeah, I thought to... that maybe a little yeah. bit more specification was needed. But, yeah. yeah. So where? No, that so was useful you for think... me too. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. That, was, yeah. that was useful for me too because I'm definitely not like I'm not an expert in like fisheries management or anything like that. I, the work that I do is tangentially related and affected by some of these issues. And as someone who is also like an advocate for ocean conservation, that's something mm. that I like to pay attention to, but I don't know all of the nuanced little pieces of what yeah. fisheries management is. So thank you for that. Cause that was really good. Actually, since you just mentioned that it's making me think that of course, depending on the species, the management is going to be more or less difficult. And a lot of fish, one of the reasons why fish is is actually tends to be quite a sustainable resource is because a lot of fish has have very high fecundity, very high. Like they, <laughs> it's insane. But that's not true for all fish, right? Mm. When we start talking about sharks and rays, you would know that, right? Mm -hmm. It's it, uh, We're going into organisms that tend to have much lower fecundity. And this yeah. is where you can start arguing. Uh, this is where you can start, you know, wondering whether or not sustainable fisheries of these species is achievable. And if it is, it would need to be really, like, really closely monitored. And at the moment, sharks and rays are going down most probably because of overfishing because there are species with very low fecundity and also mm. poor management. So it's just, uh, yeah, that's that's where things go um, get a bit bleak. But Yeah. Um, and so do you think the film, because my, my next question was going to be, where should the film have looked to prove, or to, not to necessarily prove it, to show that the statement of sustainable fishing is, is not possible? Where should they have looked to show that's not the case? But do you think maybe they just, didn't show that to fit the narrative or do you think they just didn't think to look uh, to be honest i don't know what they were thinking so at the, at the very end um ali the director says that he understands what sustainability means it doesn't mean that oh, i can't remember exactly what he says but he says ultimately it means that you can continue to create suffering <laughs> basically right <laughs> eternally so, yeah. and this is where you understand that this whole movie in the end was not about proving that sustainability doesn't exist because he kind of acknowledges at the end that it does exist. It was basically a human, it was an animal right activist argument as to you should not eat fish and you should not yeah. call, cause the suffering, the unnecessary suffering of animals. And that is... A completely different argument, right? We can go into that. It's a, a, it's a legitimate concern. It's a, something that, you know, that, of course, a lot of people think is very unethical. But it's, it doesn't have anything to do with sustainability of fisheries. Sustainability of fisheries is possible. He even acknowledges at the end of the movie that it might be possible, but in the end, he doesn't accept it. So that is the end mm. message. That really is the end message. It is yeah that's i, I completely so, um, forgot that he did that so that's probably that's probably why he didn't end up looking into sustainable fisheries in any way because that wasn't the point of the movie 
know. Yeah, yeah. Was... Okay. So if the filmmakers were here now and you wanted them to look into sustainable fishing properly, where would you have told them to go? <laughs> Politely. <laughs> I mean, as I was saying um, in my my little sustainability definition there, uh, I think that generally speaking, Scandinavian countries have done a very good job with their with harvesting sustainably their various stocks. And I've kind of asked myself why that is. I've worked in Norway a bit, and I think that partially it has to do well. It has to do with different things. They are they tend to be cultures of fishing so they have fished forever so it it really is ingrained in their culture and they also tend to be very rich so they have the means to conduct these surveys i don't know like maybe at least twice a year if not more so they are continuously Mm. out there making sure that the stocks are doing okay. And they are very strict with their quotas because they have also seen what can happen if you overfish and they don't want that to happen because they are countries that their fishing is in their culture and they do depend yeah. financially, economically on these fisheries. So it is in their best interest to make sure that they are managed sustainably. So it's I think it's a combination of factors, but definitely the fact that they do have the financial means to manage sustainably is... Because we're talking about very big fisheries, right? Like the cod fisheries in the Barents Sea is internationally renowned. You've got boats from all over the world that are going there and that are not all over the world, but at least from all over Europe that are going there and fishing cod. Yeah. And yet somehow they do manage to keep that harvest somewhat sustainable. But yeah, as I said, I do know that they also do these surveys very, very regularly. And that's incredibly expensive. So uh, Mm. not everyone can do that. And uh, that might be one of the reasons why it's so well managed. But those are some of the countries where you can look to. And of course, you've got other countries. And I'm using these examples because those are are the ones I'm familiar with. Uh, But they are... As I was saying as well, there are multiple examples of smaller communities or coastal communities elsewhere in the world that do manage their fisheries. I know that in the in the Pacific Ocean, there are a lot of island communities that have managed their fisheries sustainably for generations, for centuries, and they're still managing them sustainably using other methods. So those are also mm. examples that you could, you know, you could turn to to look at yeah. sustainable management. I feel like I'm just going on and on and on about this. <laughs> just but that's a good thing, stuff. though. But what you're, pro- I can what talk you're proving about this is that night. there's loads... <laughs> you're proving that there's loads of areas people could go. Yeah, well, you could go here and see sustainable not, examples. So it is... It's not hard to find. I mean, clearly he didn't... Really <laughs> I think didn't that's clear, yeah. yeah. Um, the film for me as well had kind of... And I think quite a few people have said this in the last two weeks, had a lot of... Well, you've even said it on today, Jada, that it had a lot of missed opportunities and one of them being the pun on the title of the film itself was a complete missed opportunity but mainly in regarding the information that it decided to present but what were the biggest missed opportunities for you Jada? I think kind of like I touched on a little bit earlier it was a huge missed opportunity to create a productive conversation and productive public engagement and like bridging that gap between science and the public. I think that that's a huge Mm. missed opportunity because I feel like honestly, this whole film has kind of maybe widened that gap a little bit because scientists are like, Hey, we don't agree with this film. And the public is like, well, you're wrong. That's not what (laughs) we wanted from this. This was like, (laughs) this is so frustrating. So I think that was a huge missed opportunity. I think that 
And just the fact that you missed the opportunity to share accurate and current science. I know that some of their sources have been taken from data collected in like 2000 or like 2006. And I'm like, things get updated very quickly in these fields. And that's something that needs to be considered. So the fact that that's the information that you used rather than the most recent information is frustrating. And it makes me think that they were, again, not to be disrespectful, but uninformed going into this because you clearly didn't do enough research to realize that this paper that you use was retracted years back or that this information has been updated since then and is now disproving something that we thought in the paper that you used, you know? So that's something that I found very frustrating. And I think that like, if that's, if this is a topic that you want to discuss to make sure that you are covering all of your bases, especially most recent research in order to make sure that you are communicating accurate information. As a science communicator, I've like done a lot of talks of like, this is how I do science communication and here are some tips and tricks. My biggest thing is there's no wrong way to communicate science as long as you are communicating accurate science. And also, again, maybe don't be, you know, like manipulative. That's important as well. (laughs) But (laughs) make sure that you're, you know, you're using act like accurate science and using accurate science you're like i feel like less likely to end up being manipulative whether it's on purpose or on accident like that's just make sure Mm. that what you're saying is accurate and if it's not you are not supporting the cause as much as you think you are honestly that's just kind of what it comes down to so just i think that again if you're gonna watch this film that's fine if you want to get like a baseline knowledge of maybe some of the things that are going wrong but One, people have been talking about most of these issues for a very long time. So it's not like any of these things are new. He's like, why is no one talking about this? I'm like, we have been, I (laughs) promise. You just have to find the resources of where. Yeah. Just Google any of them. We're talking about this. Right. And it's, so that's something like none of these things are incredibly new. Like we've been talking about these things for a very long time and just make sure that you're, you're doing your own research on the side as well and like find peer-reviewed sources and more recent peer-reviewed sources to be more specific. You can look at some of the older stuff as well to kind of see how like the literature has changed. And I know that sometimes, you know, like looking through peer-reviewed sources can be kind of daunting, especially for someone who maybe isn't in the field, but they're important things to look at if this if these are topics that you want to be involved in to make sure that you're actually getting the correct information and you're getting accurate information so that you can make your own decisions about how you feel about certain things rather than looking at a documentary that is very clearly biased and then just using that as your all of your information i don't think that that's enough ever really i mean with any documentary if you're looking at it you should be doing more research on the side yeah that was my little rant. I, th- <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think it was like the, the the bit i actually found comical in it and i, I guess as we're talking here i guess i'm just kind of reviewing the film for myself but it was like you said jenna how shocked he was at some things that i was like where the hell has this guy been like where has he been for this yeah. like when he was talking about the plastic talking about the plastics bit he was like there is so much plastic is it why is no one talking about this i was like it's like when your friend Everyone. finds out about a band that you've been listening to for years <laughs> and then goes i love this band it's like dude i've been listening to him for 10 years it's yeah it's, it's i find it very frustrating that like multiple times throughout the film they were like how come i didn't know about this i'm like 
I don't know because <laughs> we've been question. talking about it. I t- like that's a really great question you're asking. And my thing yeah. with that is like if you're asking yourself, how come I didn't know about this multiple times? You need to be doing more research before you film a documentary. Mm. That's just kind of, and I understand that like maybe he's going through it. Like at this point in time, I was wondering to myself, but I feel like that's not exactly how it was framed. It was like, I found this and immediately was outraged and no one's talking about it. So I'm going to, and I was like, I need you to do a little bit more research. And again, I'm not going to pretend I know what was going on in this person's brain. I am not going to say that I think he did it on purpose or on accident because I have no idea. I've never talked to this person, but in general, like rule of thumb, if you have never heard of something before, you need to be doing more research before you try educating other people about it. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> you can't just say I've never heard of this, so I, I must right. be the, the the inventor of this bit of information. I do have a hard time believing that he didn't know about these things because you know mm. I, I think that a lot of them, as as you were saying, are just uh, they just we've been talking about them for so long, and uh, but I I feel like this allowed it was kind of a format almost that was chosen to allow the viewer to kind of have this journey with him and discover these Mm. issues with him but what it also allowed him to do that is much more disturbing is that it, it allowed him to frame all of these again these these ngos and whatever even the issues themselves to frame them into this false conspiracy because the fact that he hasn't heard about any of them surely means that it's been hidden from him, that it's been hidden from us, right? And so that in itself is a conspiracy if people are hiding things. Except that as a, you, you just Google any of them and we've been talking about them for years. But the fact that he hasn't heard about them and frames the whole documentary that way allows him to kind of sneak in this conspiracy layer. That's what I find insane. This is where I'm, I'm just also wondering why people are not catching on that because it's 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 very disturbing. Yeah, it's it's a method of like I guess Jada, it's like you said, it's that manipulative communication where it's like kind yeah. of doing a bit of a journey to make you think one thing. It's making it you know making it darker than it needs to be, kind of thing. Going like I never heard about this, and either of you come with me, and it's like yeah. well, actually, a lot of people have been talking about this for ages, and it, it does make it a bit more sneaky than it is. And I'm glad you brought up that point about NGOs because that was my next thing. Is I I was so surprised that that's where it went going after NGOs. I was like, really? Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here on the podcast and say NGOs are problem free around the world to do with any kind of industry. I'm not going to say that because, you know, there are, there are always, we should always strive into better everything. Sure. Everyone has their problem. Yeah. Exactly. I was just surprised that that's where the concentration was when we are talking about industrial vessels going out there and going, there are so many more places or so many more people you could have spoken to. And again, like we look at that conversation with him and the whaler, I'm not saying that the whaler was the problem, but it is bridging a gap between one extreme to another. So I guess my question to you, Maureen, was what damage could this do to existing NGOs, this film? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question because, of course, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, next question. <laughs> next, next, please. I... I I, I'm hopeful that, as we were saying, you know, that hopefully, uh, well, I mean, in some horrible way, I'm hopeful that people have a short memory and will forget all this bad stuff that was saying about the NGOs. It could be damaging in the sense that 
these these NGOs are the groups are the very groups that are trying to address these issues at the root. If people stop mm. trusting them, if they stop trusting the labels, if they stop trusting the actions of the NGOs, if they start thinking that they're all corrupted and yeah, you can't trust any of the things they say and they're all financed by the fishing industry, then of course they will lose support, right? People will stop supporting them, will, will stop engaging with them. And that is problematic because you don't want that to happen. If you want the industry to be better, which you want, right? We all want the fact that, mm. that we stop eating fish is not going to stop the industries from existing. So we want the industry to be better, but we need these people and we need these NGOs. And if, if people are not offering the support that these NGOs need, then that could be damaging. I don't know to which extent that will actually be the case, though. I don't know how many people will buy in this message. And I really hope that out of this, you know, this outrage that a lot of the community, the scientific and, and community has had, I hope that people at least get that and understand that this was just a gross misrepresentation of these, yeah. these groups. I have, I do recommend people to watch there's this great review video from a vegan and animal rights activist called the cranky vegan on youtube and his review is great because he sees it from the perspective of a vegan activist and his opinion on this is that the vegan community has always seen the environmental movement kind of as an enemy because they're not extreme enough and so instead mm -hmm. of uh, collaborating and working together to solve problems that they kind of see in common, they continuously create this gap because the environmental movement community is just not extreme enough and is not supporting this vegan message. And so that has been just something that just repeats itself over time. I mean, cowspiracy also spat on NGOs. And um, I haven't watched it, but that's what he was mentioning in his, in his video. And I found that that was really eye-opening because I never realized that that might be a thing. I always thought that because mm. these were people that had common interest, they would tend to work together and go in the same direction, but apparently not. And to me, the interesting thing is that I don't think this is damaging just for the NGOs. I think it's also damaging for the vegan movement. You don't want to create this divide, right? For either party. So that's where I'm kind of wondering who's going to get the most damage out of this. And I don't know. But... Uh, mm. But that's a, that's a good point. I agree with you on that because as, <laughs> and I hate say, saying this on the podcast, but as a vegan myself, one thing I see with, and I will, I don't need to say this is my opinion, but because my listeners know this, but what I see with animal rights, the majority of the movement from animal rights or the vegan movement is that they care about animals, right? They care about animals, that is evidently clear. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's care for the environment. In that and I think that's two separate things that we need to remember. Eating fish is not okay, and people and people, yeah. Well, people are part because of the people are such a big part, exactly. right? This is yeah. where it goes back to what Jada was saying. Like, if you're ignoring the fact that these sustainable fisheries exist, or if you're not interviewing these people from these communities, you're just basically completely ignoring the fact that there are tons of people out there who rely on this, right? But it's not in your interest to care about people. My last question to you both, and I think. Usually what I do on the show is I ask people what their one bit of advice would be to everyone on the planet regarding the natural world. But to keep it on theme with the topic we're talking about it, um, 
Jada, I'll ask you first. If you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone about the ocean, including the topic of eating fish, what advice would you pass on to everyone? That's such a hard <laughs> question because I'm like, I have so many ideas. So I'm like, I mean, reduce your single-use plastic intake or like I said earlier, like know where your food comes from and try to reduce your food waste. If you are eating seafood, try to make sure that it comes from a sustainable source if that's something that you're able to do. Like shop locally, go to like a farmer's market or fish for it yourself, something like that. Just make sure that like you're catching species that are like allowed to be caught that aren't endangered and things like that. But yeah, reducing food waste is a big part of it. Like if you buy fish, don't let it go bad and then just toss it out because it's going to waste and that's really sad. And I think I kind of touched on earlier as well, educating yourself on these issues and looking into these issues and doing your own research. And that goes for like a lot of different things, a lot of different social justice and environmental justice topics. Like make sure that you're doing your own research on these things because there's a lot. And I know that we can't expect Seaspiracy to go into depth about every single thing as deep as we, we hope because it's mm. only an hour and a half long. Like, it just can't do that. That can't happen. But if if it's something that you want to know more about and it's something that you feel passionate about and something that you want to make sure that you're well-informed on, make sure that you're doing additional research rather than just watching one film or, like, one blog post. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Go into the literature a little bit. If you have friends that are scientists, like ask your scientist friends. And I think it's important to recognize that the ocean needs activists, but yes, the ocean needs scientists as well, because we're helping to give you the information needed to make policy decisions. And that's important to recognize. I've seen a lot of people being like, the ocean doesn't need scientists. It needs activists. I'm like, no, it really needs both. <laughs> Definitely for sure needs both. So we need to make sure that we're keeping that. Yeah. So I guess something that I always say is just like, listen to scientists. We spend our lives researching these things and gathering this information to give to you so that you can make better decisions and make opinions for yourself based on the information that you're given. So just pay attention to the information that scientists are giving you and look at multiple different points of view. Don't just pick one thing and run with it. I don't know. Like, for example, I know a lot of people that watch Republican news and Democratic news so that they can get the whole picture. And I think that that's kind of an important message too. So make sure yeah. that you're looking at both sides and make sure that you're doing all the research that you can and gathering all the information that you think is necessary to make a decision about these topics. It was very long-winded. And I talk very fast. I'm so sorry. It was very complete. Okay, it was great. I that, but I like your message of, and I think it's great that an hour and a half does not make an expert. You cannot right. learn and be an expert by just putting in an hour and a half into anything right. ever, no matter what the topic. So yeah. no, I think that's it was very good. Um, I Sorry, um, can I add no, something go. real fast? I yeah. think yeah. that it's so important also to recognize that like, yes, scientists are expert in certain topics, but I don't think any scientist is ever going to tell you that they know everything about everything. That's just mm -hmm. not true. I research sharks. You ask me about birds, I know nothing. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't tell you. What species is that? I don't know. Yes, probably a crow. Like, you. I have no idea. So scientists are not experts in absolutely everything, but there are scientists that are experts on certain topics. And depending on the topic, you want to seek out some of those scientists. 
I think that's it. It's that's all I got. It's so nice <laughs> to have someone that doesn't know about birds on the podcast. It's I know nothing. so nice. It's, <laughs> I tell you, the, the listeners will know I'm feathered out. I am feathered out after <laughs> 50 odd episodes. They're great. I like them, but enough feathers for Yeah. God's sake. If you've ever seen like science Twitter in general, there's like a hashtag team bird versus hashtag team fish like rivalry. <laughs> and it's incredible. I am team fish all the way. And I'm like queen Scales of bird slander. Yes, scales over feathers. <laughs> feathers are just modified scales. You're not special. Feathers, whatever. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, J- Jada, we're arranging another episode for this. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I, I like this chat. It's amazing. Marine, if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone about the ocean, including whether about being about eating fish, what would it be? Gosh, that's going to be hard. <laughs> I mean, I think that Jada covered a lot of it already. Uh, well, I'll probably just echo some of what you just said, Jada, because it was it was very complete. I feel like just uh, maybe I just want to make something clear here, because again, as I said, I feel like I've been the advocate of the devil this whole time mm. and I've had so much criticism for it. And, and I find that really disturbing because I, I feel like ultimately this movie really touches people really deep because it touches their value you know and as soon as you touch it it, they feel like you're attacking them personally right and that's not the point i don't want to speak for everyone but i feel like it's fairly safe for me to say that at least the three of us here we probably all have the same kind of goal in common like we we want the same thing for the environment, yeah. right? We we don't want these oceans to die, right? I, I think I'm happy with that. Yes, I'm, yep. I'm bored with this. Right? <laughs> so, so the point is, there are different ways of doing this, and not eating fish is if that's your way as a consumer to express your discontent with the industry then that's fine. If you can afford to do that, and if you live in a country where it's possible, and, you know, as you were saying, Jade, earlier, if you're privileged enough for this to be an an option for you, then, you know, by all means, do it. I don't eat fish either. I haven't eaten fish for 10 years, and that's my personal choice. Mm -hmm. But I... Also, as you were saying, Jada, you said it already, but I'm just repeating what you're saying. Basically, I just took notes and I'm like, okay, I'll read this back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, as you were saying, I mean, you do also need to treat some of the underlying issues right at the root, right? Mm. You, I mean, there are some some changes that have to happen within the industry, and that the people will who will do that will be the scientists and the NGOs and the governments. I mean, the governments have an incredible amount of power. And I mean, the industry has a lot of power, but the governments ultimately will decide on the rules that the industry has to follow, right? And who is going to lobby the governments to make these rules? The NGOs. And the NGOs will often base themselves on what the scientists say. So there's all these these links that are created. You know, the scientists say something, the NGOs will often create this bridge between what the scientists say and between what the governments should do. And then the governments will be kind of in, in the middle and listen to, you know, the industry, mm. the NGOs, the scientists, and then come up with these, these decisions and these compromises. So it's important to recognize that this whole system there, the way it works, that that's... A, this this is really important that this is where you can change things, right? 
And you have to continue supporting the people who do that. Like, you can't just uh, think that by not eating fish, this will solve the solutions yeah. of uh, slave labor or or illegal fishing. Like, that is... Uh, no, no, it will not. <laughs> Unfortunately, it will yeah. not. And it might, you know, it might alleviate some of the pressure on the, on the fisheries if, you know, I don't know how many billions of people decide to stop eating fish, which is very unlikely. But the industry will continue to exist. And we need to make sure that these issues are treated as they should so i think my my bit of advice uh, would be to continue supporting these groups and getting involved with them i mean there are many ways and voting i mean just use your power as a you know as a, as yeah. a citizen not just as a consumer yes actually that's a really good bit of advice y yeah i like that bit i would also say to people listening that Many of the NGOs named in the film have also put out statements and answered questions. So if you look them up on their social media accounts, you can actually do your other side of the story research just by visiting their pages or visiting their Instagrams or Twitters to see what they're actually saying. Um, I think that would be a good good thing to do. Jada, Maureen, thank you so much for joining me on this chat today. It's, it's been lovely to get the opportunity to speak to you both and get your insight on, on Seaspiracy and actually, and actually talk about it. But I hope it doesn't continue to cause you both stress. I hope it, it makes way for some positive change. I really do. I hope the conversation does stay alert in a positive way for you both. But thank you so both so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Jada and Maureen are working on, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter. The links to their social medias is in the write-up to this episode. And a reminder that, as always, any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. If you enjoyed today's show or you're a fan of Into the Wild, then you can buy me a coffee to say thanks. The link to my Kofi account is in the write-up of this show also. And you can also get in touch with me at intothewildpod at gmail.com or on social media, Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on an episode, or even let me know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, keep well, stay safe, and live the good life.